midwife calling. Welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we are talking about every episode of Call the Midwife one by one without spoilers. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paula Moffat, not that kind of doctor. And this week we are talking about the first episode of season five of Call the Midwife. That's the first real episode, not counting the Christmas special that comes in between season four and season five. That we have already talked about. That we've already talked about. This episode was written by Heidi Thomas and directed by Sid McCartney. We last saw Heidi Thomas, of course, who created the show, so we've seen her lots. We last saw her in the Christmas special, the last episode that aired before this. And uh, this is Sid McCartney's first episode of Call the Midwife, but it is not his last. Jan, do you want to take us through the recap of this show? All right, let's get into it. Mature Jenny narrates about the female body while we see Trixie exercise and another woman just after birth. Trixie qualifies as an instructor for her Keep Fit class. In the clinic, a little boy asks for some milk of magnesia for his mother, Rhoda Mullocks. A man takes photos on the street as Trixie and Barbara bike by. At Nanatus, new uniforms arrive for the midwives to the joy of everyone, although Sister Evangelina has her critiques at first. Lent is upon the nuns, who don't have any cake. Rhoda goes into labor and heads the maternity home, arm-in-arm arm with her husband. Tom calls on Barbara to help with the Easter bonnet parade. The photographer approaches Trixie and Barbara to take photos of the East End and ends up taking pictures of the Keep Fit class. Meanwhile, Rhoda delivers a baby girl who's severely de deformed with shortened arms and legs. Sheila and Patsy hide the baby and take her away to the nursery right away. Dr. Turner assumes she won't last the night, and so she's kept away from Rhoda. But the baby lives and cries as Dr. Turner watches over her and feeds her. In the morning, Mr. Mullocks arrives. Before they can show Rhoda, the baby, he sees her first and goes into a rage. But when Rhoda sees her, she falls in love instantly, naming the daughter Susan. So there's a minor... It's like not even a plot point. It's a minor theme in this episode of space. Uh, the uh, Rhoda's son, when he goes and gets milk of magnesia for her, is wearing like a space helmet. And there's mm. a few other little moments. I was just, while you were talking, Googling uh, when... This is 1961, I believe. Season mm -hmm. five. Yeah. And the moon landing isn't until 1969. But this is the the space race. This is the beginning of the space race. And just like, it is, there's a, a minor connection, I think, thematically to like uh, reaching for the future and mm -hmm. that being scary and uh, potentially deadly. But I just wanted to draw attention to a, a, rel a relevant thing in that passage, which is when the kid is like, when... Uh, uh, Sheila's like, are you going to Mars with your helmet? And he's like, no, I'm going to the moon. There's no air on Mars. I'm like, kid, there's no air on there's the moon no either. There's no air on the so moon. <laughs> shows what you know. I showed you, kid. I showed you, seven-year-old on a TV show set in 1961, what you know about space. Ha! Okie dokie. So... <laughs> um, the narration in the beginning of this episode, as we often talk about first, is... 
all about the female body and that's very much what this whole episode is about is about mm-hmm. the body and about bodily things and we have like uh trixie with her keep fit class we have women learning about their bodies we have mm-hmm. a deformed body we have mm-hmm. loving your body or not loving your body or lo- not loving your child's body it's all very uh, visceral and physical, this episode. I think sometimes we have said, like, the connection between the voiceover and the theme of the episode isn't easy to put your finger on. This episode, it's very easy to put your finger on, right? Like Absolutely. They're, they're really setting up, this is an episode about the beauty and vulnerability and fragility of the body. And she talks about the female body Uh, And the episode is about, but there's also just, like, human bodies are fragile Mm -hmm. going on. The voiceover, like, just to hammer the point home, as the voiceover says that the female body is vulnerable and fragile, we see shots between Trixie doing her keep fit and Barbara and maybe other people. The only face we see is Barbara, but uh, mopping up blood. Mm -hmm. So, like... Keep fit, mop up blood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you want to talk about Trixie and keep fit a little more? Mm-hmm. Well, this is, uh, I mean, it's made explicit in the episode, but it's uh, Trixie's coping mechanisms for being an alcoholic mm-hmm. are taking these classes. I mean, going to AA, but also taking and leading keep fit classes. Yeah, and like... In connection to the theme of fragility and vulnerability, right? Like, on one hand, uh, or on one level, exercise is already about fragility and vulnerability just even in a vacuum. Because it's mm-hmm. about, like, my body is uh, needs to be maintained. Yeah. And that's what exercise is. It's, like, routine maintenance on the body, right? At the At an extremely basic level. But then for Trixie specifically, she gives this little speech about how... I I didn't write down, do you remember in the Keep Fit, I think it's all uh, kind of subtext and implied when she gives her speech when she's an instructor and she says, like, this gave me uh, something to do and a new, le- a new meaning to life. Does mm-hmm. she, how textual does she make it that it's like, instead of getting drunk, I'm exercising? Yeah, she doesn't ever to anyone else out loud. It, we... it's more of a way to, to Sister Julienne is basically the only one who really knows that. Yeah. But we you know she calls Keep Fit the very best thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And there's like, I feel like there's this uh, setting up this. Um, I don't know if it's I'm like having trouble spitting my words out because I don't know if it is uh, quite so far as a uh critique of exercise um because it's the very best thing she's ever done it's making her happy it's good and as we go through the episode like to uh some things she says later on in her conversation with sister julianne which we will get to more like the exercise is not just about her distracting herself or being strong it's also about getting to know and love your body which trixie makes a passionate case for that being important for health Mm -hmm. but also there's like uh this subtext of her replacing uh 
alcohol with exercise. Like, it's replacing a bad thing with a good thing, but it's also replacing a compulsive behavior with a compulsive behavior. You know what I mean? And this is something that gets recommended to people with addictions to replace it with a yeah healthy addiction and this yeah. is how they this is how trixie has coped with alcoholism is replacing it with a healthier addiction yes and thank you i couldn't like quite articulate because i didn't want to imply like <laughs> stretching is just as bad as drinking because it's compulsive but like it isn't it is also like about the fragility of the body mm-hmm. still even when it's a healthy uh addiction a healthy addiction is still thematically about the body being vulnerable and fragile. I guess mm-hmm. that's where I was trying to get at with that and I not making it, but with your help, I think. Yeah. There's this sense of like bodies needing stuff <laughs> really is what mm-hmm. I'm like. Um, On the theme of bodies and representative, uh, this man is taking photographs of the East End and he asks uh, Trixie and Barbara to, you know, take pictures of them, get a sense of what the East End is actually like. And he insists on taking their picture to to appeal to their sense of pride at the East End that... You know, if I don't take your picture, I'm just, just going to be, you know, the meth shrinkers or whatever he says, like, you know, people on the corner and they, uh, that's not the East End that we see ever. I yeah. mean, we do see it, but as viewers of this show, it's not something that we see. Meth shrinkers, by the way, just in case there's, I've made a note of, uh, that's not methamphetamine. <laughs> no, well, we talked it's about that the last time we talked about spirits. Oh, did we? Yeah, okay. yeah. Because, because it tripped me up again. I mean, I know meth drinkers isn't meth, but uh, our kid is really into Breaking Bad right now. And so I'm hearing <laughs> all about meth all the time. <laughs> True story. Um, yeah, it's... Some, we talked about it in detail in an earlier episode where there okay. was meth drinkers. <laughs> but it's like the photographer and taking pictures of the east end and that connected to bodies is so such a good point to make that connection now because it's also like it's the metaphor of the east end as and bodies and the what you see and what you don't see depending on what you have access to and what you're looking at mm-hmm. and that you can see the east end and take pictures of it and see the meth drinkers on the corner and it's all uh sad and unhealthy and mm-hmm. uh poverty or you can go behind scenes with the midwives and see love and uh beauty and there's a more shallow version of that that he's like here's some pretty young women let me take pictures of them absolutely and like let me take pictures of them in their class in their uh leotards which is a whole like theme too of them exposing themselves and later on they're gonna get in trouble for that of uh, they're showing their bodies in a way that you was un- less acceptable in the 50s. And less, 60s, I guess, at this point. And less acceptable to the nuns that they are living with. Like, exactly. we're, we're preempting a bit. We're going to get to that. But yeah. uh, on that theme, they get new uniforms. They and this do. is also connecting to, like, bodies and showing off bodies. And uh, do you want to talk about the uniforms at all? I, these uniforms are so familiar now that, you know, (laughs) it's been many, many years since we've gotten these uniforms that I almost forgot that it's not until season five that they get 
these the belts especially those butterfly belts yeah they're i like the color is the same Mm -hmm. and i like uh had to go back and forth to be like what's the difference between these two universes they react like they're so different and i am like are they that different? <laughs> you don't know fashion, Paul. <laughs> I'll have you know I made a thread about the Met Gala yesterday. <laughs> That's true, you did. <laughs> but, uh, no, I don't know fashion. And, like, I said, I was, like, they look pretty, pretty uh, similar to me until I went back and forth. And, like, the old uniforms uh, don't have the belts and they don't button down the front. They're, like, kind of like a nightgown silhouette that mm-hmm. like from shoulder to hem is one solid piece all the way down with no uh, uh, cinching mm-hmm. right um and that doesn't really matter but what does matter is they're getting new uniforms that are showing off their bodies in different ways that are displaying their physical bodies differently mm-hmm. and uh sister evangelina doesn't like it of course she never likes new things <laughs> Sister Evangelina complains about the belt specifically cinching around the waist because she thinks it'll give them a lack of flexibility. They won't be able to bend over because they're belted at the waist. And she's like, look pretty, but how are you going to bend? One long uh, birth on a mattress and you'll... One protracted birth on a mattress and you'll split down the sea or <laughs> split in the middle or whatever she says. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in that exchange about the uniforms, I also... Like, Nurse Crane, uh, who at first feels like, I mean, we've, we've gotten to know her by now in the show, but we've talked before about how she's like Sister Evangelina, but secular. Um, so she has this conversation with Sister Julianne about, like, new uniforms, this is vanity, I don't think, I don't approve, I don't hold with this nonsense. And then as soon as she leaves the door, she's like, I'll race you, and they all run up to get try on their new pretty uniforms. <laughs> I love it. Me too. But it brings up the, like, bodies and what you see and who sees and when and why and where and what it means Mm -hmm. that they all are changing uh, Nurse Crane and the younger uniforms. Uh, Nurse Crane and the younger nurses. And uh, I forget which one of them is like, you'll have to forgive us for uh, seeing us in our all together. And Nurse Crane is like, we're all girls together and takes off her dress too and we see patsy be like uh and it's this like it's played for a bit of a laugh but it's also like who's you know because she's older they don't think of her as like girls together with them Mm -hmm. and like her in her underwear is different to them from each other in their underwear because she's old Mm -hmm. which is just like it's not like a hugely profound point, but it's just again about like what bodies are acceptable in what ways to who and when and why. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. She also talks about that she doesn't want to do keep fit because she does the Canadian Air Force fitness routines every other morning. Uh, do you know anything about the Canadian Air Force fitness routines? Not at all. It was a, uh, obviously in the uh, 60s and in the 50s it starts in World War II but apparently it was Prince Philip's regular fitness routine ah. it seems to have done him pretty well yeah I mean he lived <laughs> in 96 or whatever 99 I don't even know that's really funny uh, alright well we've been dancing around it the main body the main crux of this episode that is why this episode is about bodies in a lot of ways is Rhonda. I keep calling her Rhonda. Rhoda. 
Rhoda, like Rhododendron, she says her, she wants to Ooh. name her children flower names. She has a flower name. Uh-huh. That might help you remember. That does help me remember. Also, Rhoda from Mary Tyler Moore. Oh, I don't know that at all. Uh, okay, so anyway, Rhoda Mullocks, uh, who is a mom of, this is her third child. She's, a, you know, your experienced mom that we see. And she has a baby who is uh, with a malformation, who has shortened, massively shortened arms and legs, to the point of basically no arms and legs. Focomelia. Mm, is that what it's called? Okay. Focomelia meaning like a seal. Mm. So like a body like a seal. Yeah. He says, Dr. Turner says that, and when he said it, I thought like sealed up as in like, uh, like sealing an envelope. No. But foco is like uh, the animal. Mm-hmm. So it's like a body like a seal. Mm-hmm. And they, what do we think of them taking the baby away Ugh. and not showing her i mean i know what i think i implied in what i'm saying is it's wrong and i really bristle at both sheila and uh patsy their inclination to just hide it away i know instantly i understand why emotionally for them but it is rough that they spend so long they take her away and then like, it's even past where you have read. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it isn't. You you talked about seeing her. So it's all in the part that, you've, that you recapped. But it's, like, a long time. It's not just in the moment. And we see in the performance from uh, Patsy and Sheila, and I can extremely relate, or I can extremely empathize with, like, I don't know how to say this. And Patsy puts on her, like fake smile and mm-hmm. just like it's a daughter i'm like in that moment i can empathize with their emotions of like i don't know how to tell you there is something wrong with your baby but then it's like days yeah it's a solid like 12 hours or more before like she has a sleep and it's the next morning so it's yeah it's far too long it is um devastating yeah uh, and we it's have... not gonna be any less devastating and they and the fact that i mean it's just it's the old medicine that we see on this show and it's i like that they show it because it's more true of if a baby is going to die it's better that the mother not hold them was a yeah. was a line of thinking and mm-hmm. we know now that that is not true and these days it's so much better that people get a chance to say goodbye Mm-hmm. But uh, so the thinking is like this: this baby is living at this point, but it's going to die, and so it's probably better if we just take her off and let her die, and then tell the mother. And which, I, oh, it it hurts to watch our characters that we know and love do this to this woman. I know. I really, from a as you said, from a show making perspective, I think it's really good that sometimes they do the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is like really painful. And they, like, I also looked it up. Um, obviously, we know historically, but even viewers of the show, they haven't made this clear. So if you don't know the history, then you watching the show don't know. But I'm going to give it as say it because it's a spoiler from real life history 
that uh, this is uh, thalamide. Thalidomide. Ca- thal- this is thalidomide causes this. Mm-hmm. So we now know what caused it. And the reason I'm saying that is uh, Patrick or Dr. Turner wouldn't have seen this very often. It was really rare. Mm-hmm. It became much more common because of thalidomide for a little while. The like cases, like um, many times multiplied. I looked up the number, but I didn't write it down. But uh, so Dr. Turner would have felt like because there weren't enough cases to know this baby had an extremely low chance of living. Mm-hmm. In real life, it is a low survival rate. It's 50%. Yeah. But 50% is like he would have uh, expected it to be even lower than 50%. Which is not to say at all that taking the baby away and hiding it uh, from the mother would have been a good idea if it was going to, would have been the right thing to do if it was going to die. But it just, it is also adding some, like, context that uh, a couple of years later he would have, when they, when the world had seen so many more cases of this, he would have uh, probably given the baby a higher uh, chance of living. Mm-hmm. Because 50% is still very bad, but it is not... She, there's no way she's living through the night the way that they act. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, oh, But the moment that, like, all the time... It was really painful all the time that we and all the characters know... And Rhoda doesn't, and she's like, "Where's my baby? How's she doing?" And that when, um, when uh, uh, Mary Cynthia comes in and calls her Rhoda, and she says, "Why are we call- you calling me Rhoda? I thought we were formal terms on the uh, on the ward yeah. on the ward." And she's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to sound disrespectful." She says, "You didn't. You sounded kind. Like there's something wrong." Mm-hmm. And she still doesn't, they still don't tell her at that point. Yeah. And then Sheila comes in and earlier when she first comes in, uh, she wanted a cigarette and she was like, well, we don't encourage smoking on the ward. Yeah. (laughs) And then when Sheila comes in and is like, have a cigarette. Yeah. Oh. It's like, as I keep saying, I can sympathize with how difficult that was for Sheila to say mm-hmm. but also that is like a painful but necessary part of your profession mm-hmm. I think it could have come many hours earlier and it would have been better that be, that they told her gently yeah um but as it happens the father shows up I didn't write down his first name Mr. Mullocks yeah and uh, either and she sees the baby before Rhoda can, before it can be explained what's happening and has the worst possible reaction. Yeah. Uh, it like he says he's the least sympathetic of all people, but there is some sympathy there of just like not knowing what to do and not understanding what he's seeing. I can like <sighs> I mean, he says, how could you let that live? There ain't no way that thing is coming back to our house. So, yeah. Yeah. Unsympathetic. Completely. On the other hand, he's totally unprepared and, uh, has, like, has never seen, did not know that that, that his 
baby was going to uh, look like that. Did not know babies could. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not defending, but I do feel sympathy for him Mm -hmm. for sure. Like the shock and uh, I feel, I, I find him sympathetic. I think basically it comes down to uh, nothing was done in the proper order. Mm-hmm. And it was the fault of uh, Dr. Turner and Sheila and Patsy and especially Dr. Turner because yeah. he's the senior person in charge here. He should and have said. I don't. And I think he displayed like this sympathy and like stayed with the baby all night and bonded with her yeah in a like she's a fighter yeah like that could have been her mother i know and it oh it hurts to watch this on the one hand i know on on the one hand that whole scene where he's like to sheila don't get emotionally involved this baby's gonna die you know we have to be professional and then spends the whole night like rocking her and feeding her and cuddling her. It's like, I, it's really moving. It is. And on the other hand, as you say, like, he could have given her parents the chance to have that bonding moment instead. Yeah. Um, but you said that could have been her mother. Her father has a terrible first reaction. Yeah. Rhoda is such a beautiful soul. Yes. <laughs> I absolutely. love her so much. And I love when she names her. They're like, do you have a name for her? And she hesitates and they think that it's better. Like, it's okay. We can just put baby. And like, no. Yeah. I'm thinking I'm going to name her Susan. I'm not going to name her, you know, this big flowery named Delphinium or whatever, <laughs> whatever it was, was yeah. whatever she was going to dandelion. Um, <laughs> she said her name's Susan. She'll never have to spell it easy, you know. She'll never name. have to spell it or explain it. Yeah. The like... My... I know a lot of Susans, including my own sister, is named Susan, and it's true. Rhoda's reaction. And that, like, yeah, you don't have to... It doesn't matter, uh, they say. But I can't remember who it is. Is it Sheila saying, do we need a name? It doesn't matter. And she says, it does matter. Mm-hmm. And that's like, to make the subtext text, it's not very uh, subtle subtext. I mean, it's not very hidden subtext, but just to say out loud, like, it matters because when you don't name someone, you're expecting them to die. Mm-hmm. And you're expecting that if they die, it means they don't matter to you and they aren't really a person. Mm-hmm. And the two different things, both of which are important, is she's like, I'm going to bond with this baby and give her a name and plan for her future. She'll never have to spell it. I am not expecting or planning or anticipating a short life for her. And then also, even if she has a short life, I am bonding with her and treating her like a my child. Mm-hmm. And so it does matter. Yeah, <laughs> I absolutely. love it. That's All beautiful. right, should we move on with the recap? We've talked a lot here about yeah. just this, but... Yeah, go on. Um, Patsy and Delia meet for lunch, and Delia reveals she has been declared healthy and gotten a job at the same hospital. Delia's mother shows up and insists that she will not be moving to London. Susan is going to be taken to the hospital, but Rhoda doesn't want her to be let out of her sight. She can't go home since her husband won't let her live in the house. Julianne tells the midwives they'll have to work 
extra over Easter weekend since the nuns have more prayers. The photographer, the photographs appear in the newspaper, including the ones of the nurses in their leotards. Sister Julianne is upset, and later the nurses eat eclairs in front of Sister Monica Joan, and she joins them. In the keep fit class, one of the older ladies, Olive, runs to the washroom with Trixie following her and finding out she's been hiding a condition she didn't think could be helped. So, so this is, so, sorry. Go ahead. So uh, Delia, again, is, uh, this is a new plot that we're mentioning now, is again about the body. This is about her healed body, and that she went in a yep. patient and came out a nurse. Yeah. And that, uh, yeah, this is like one of the few times when, like, we've been on record about not liking what the show has done with Delia. This is one of the few times where I like, uh, given the state at the start of the episode, I really like what they do with Delia in this episode, tying it into the theme in a really, uh, I think, profound way. Mm -hmm. That, like, she has been declared healthy, uh... Her body is healed, but her mother says she's still forgetful, so not entirely. It's all about fragility, and then it's all about her mother treating her as more fragile than she is. Mm -hmm. So her mother insists she won't be moving to London. Patsy obviously expects Delia to disagree and be like, I'll live wherever I want, Mom. But she doesn't. Mm -hmm. She's like, okay. It's also about the fragility of her mother is that she, that Delia doesn't want to upset her mother Mm -hmm. and and deal with her fragility as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to talk about, um, one of the things we didn't talk about last time that is going on uh, more in this section or continuing to go on in this section is Lent, which is also Mm -hmm. about bodies. Yeah. And denial. And denial of the body. And that, like, they, there aren't any uh, cakes, and uh, Sister Monica Joan is complaining about it in the in the earlier part that we didn't talk about at the time. But Sister Monica Joan is like the uh, Islamicists or whatever she says. The Muslims uh, have festivals of fasting, and their elders are permitted to eat. <laughs> <laughs> And Sister Julian is like, well, they can do whatever they want, but we're not Muslim. Exactly. <laughs> um, but then it's like the, the, we can maybe talk about them both in one breath, but like Lent and the uh, younger nurses breaking Lent with eating eclairs in front of Sister Monica Joan um, and them uh, Barbara and Trixie taking pictures in their leotards. Like, this is both about denial of the body in different ways. Denial of, like, the, uh, indulging the pleasures of the body by eating, but also denial of the body by not showing yourself in your leotard is a different kind of denying of your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then about, like, the nuns having a... The nuns having an approach that the nurses, a uh, uh, worldview, an approach to the body, uh, practices that the nurses don't have. And there's a conflict, maybe the strongest conflict we have yet seen on this show, between what the nuns expect of, what the nuns expect the nurses to behave like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, we don't 
quite get to, and we'll uh, get to it. We, I guess saying we will get to it. But the conflict between uh, Trixie and Sister Julianne kind of begins here. It's maybe subtly in the last section, but it begins here. It gets resolved in the next section you're going to recap. But it's about, like, approach to bodies. Mm-hmm. I don't like them... Uh, coaxing Sister Monica Joan into breaking Lent, though. I agree. It's like, Sister Monica Joan might not be the best nun in terms of nunning, but she doesn't deserve to be uh, tempted by in, within her own household. Yeah. Within her own, you know, in a place where she should have safety from that. The... People are making bad choices in this episode. Yeah. Not ever, people are not, uh, people are making good choices and people are making bad choices. And I think that's reality is, and they shouldn't be tempting Sister Monica Joan, but they do. Yeah. I don't, I feel like, uh, yeah, I guess you are right. I feel like the, um, they're all giggly and eating eclairs and, and, uh, they don't, seem to recognize at all that it really upset me it doesn't upset me one bit that they declares but it really upset me that they tempt sister monica joan into breaking lent Mm -hmm. like that's sucky of you guys um there's a but then them being uh i don't know if we've already covered it do you want to say anything more about them being in the newspaper in their leotards which is scandal (laughs) In their combinations. Lo- their combination. I love Sister Evangelina and her reaction. I will not even show it to you. And she totally shows it to her. Um, <laughs> uh, I do, like, it has been a thing all along about in uniform, out of uniform. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to kiss you on the street, my boyfriend, because I'm in my uniform. And we're both in our, or we're both in our uniforms. Or we're... Yeah. You know, I need to change out of my uniform in order to do something as a civilian, basically. That this uh, wearing of this outfit is says something in the community. Right. And so they're doing something out of that outfit, but still representing the community is scandalous. And I don't think should be, to be clear. But it is uh, seen from the perspective of the whole show as a disrespect of their position in the community as a leader in the community to be pictured like this. And specifically as associated with the uh, nuns. Yeah, exactly. Like, it is, I hadn't quite thought of it like that, but you're so right that from Trixie and Barbara's perspective, uh, what we do when we're not in uniform, like they do respect they're uh when they're in uniform they do things that are appropriate for them to be doing when they're in uniform Mm -hmm. i think i feel like we've seen that in the past and i hadn't quite connected that to trixie especially trixie's perspective that like i'm in my leotard because i'm not in my uniform and when i'm not in my uniform what business is that of yours yeah exactly right um also the like uh trixie's point exactly how she says it that like uh god I don't think God will have a problem with our leotard since he made our bodies. And Sister Julianne says, but we do. Yeah. Like, that's also a really interesting exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's a I have a line here in my notes that I don't remember who says it to who, so I'm gonna say it. I know it's in this section. I'm gonna say it and see what you if you remember the context better. Um, uh, Rhoda said they're talking about. Um, I don't know actually who says it. Um, first glances are for strangers. The context is like yes, your daughter looks very shocking at first glance but first glances are for strangers mm. do you remember i don't remember exactly who says that i was but... gonna say I, it's a thing rhoda says but now i think it's someone talking to the father to mm-hmm. mr mullocks yes i think it's uh it might be sister mary cynthia talking to you yeah i th- i think it is Miss Sister Mary Cynthia talking to Mr. Mullock says, like, I understand how shocking your baby is to see at first glance, but first glances are for strangers. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like... That's a beautiful line. It's a beautiful line. It's a beautiful line. And it's a beautiful sentiment and it's a beautiful, like... And again, to spoil to the end of the episode, it uh, he hears that. Mm-hmm. Like... Absolutely. He changes his behavior based not only on that, but, like, it's true. First mm-hmm. glances are for strangers. People walking past are going to think that's weird. Uh, but they're strangers. Mm-hmm. And you're not. Um, Let's get into the next part. We'll talk about Olive in the next part. Okay. She's more in there. Um, Sister Mary Cynthia and Sister Winifred alter baby clothes to fit Susan and discuss her situation. Sister Mary Cynthia reveals that she had a brother born with water on the brain, who died young. Later, she visits Mr. Mullocks and encourages him to visit Susan, saying the line we just talked about, and to take her into their home and not pull the family apart. The nurses return to Nanatus late at night with Sister Monica Joan in tow, upsetting Sister Julianne. Delia calls Patsy to apologize, and that her mother will be broken if she stays in London. She agrees to come to Nanatus for lunch. Trixie takes Olive to see Dr. Turner, who lets her know she doesn't have to suffer with her prolapsed womb, and everything she needs is covered by the National Health. Sister Julienne and Trixie have a meeting and work things out in regards to keep fit, Trixie speaking passionately about ladies needing to know their bodies. Mr. Mullocks and the two other children finally visit Rhoda and Susan, and he holds her, and they are able to bond as a family. At Easter lunch, Delia's mom is impressed with Nanatis, and Sister Julianne offers for her to live there. Lastly, mature Jenny narrates about Easter and the optimism of 1961. She mentions a scandal in the answer of why Susan has the deformity. Do you want to talk about Delia first? Yes. So we alluded to this earlier, but in this section, Delia like says out loud to Patsy about her mother's fragility is uh, mm-hmm. part of why she can't live in London. It's not just about the fragility of her body. It's about the fragility of her mother's body. Um, And then the, I mean, I said we'd talk about it first, but the sister Julianne offering Delia a place at in boarding in Nanata's house so that she can live under the eye of the nuns so that her mother can be reassured and uh, is is like a great solution to that. And Sister Julienne's answer there comes 
right out of her interaction with Trixie. So I said Mm. we should talk about it first, but then uh, she says, we cherish our young women and they keep us on our toes. Mm -hmm. I fear without them, we would flounder. Um, And how can the mother say no to like, I'm going to live in a nunnery, mom, a nunnery. (laughs) Exactly. With my girlfriend. I mean, no. um, (laughs) There'll be nothing but us girls. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Um, And like, yeah, I think it's a great uh, solution. And it's a great, it's a, it shows Sister Julienne being the best again. Um, But... That, as I said, comes out of her interaction with Trixie. So do you want to talk about Trixie and Sister Julianne in this section and kind of looking back on the whole episode? Well, they have a whole discussion. And like, I mean, her bringing in Sister, once again, Sister Monica Joan being corrupted by, like it was, I mean, not corrupted, but I think that they're very much in the wrong with how they treat Sister Monica Joan and coming in giggling with her eating chips or whatever. Yeah. And... When clearly it is not, it may be at the letter of the law, but it's certainly not the spirit. And they all know that. Yeah. And that when she comes in and they're all giggling and Sister Monica Joan is like, I've just been eating chips. They're not sweet. They're savory. I haven't broken Lent. And I'm like, Sister Monica Joan, we saw you a scene ago eating an eclair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then I also like Trixie. When Sister Julianne is like, come meet me at nine. And Trixie's like, I shall be otherwise engaged at nine. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. she's. It's, she goes too far. Is that Trixie, yes, is not under the thumb of nuns. She is not a nun. Yep. But Sister Julianne is still basically her boss. Like, she goes too far. And then... And, by, so, and figures out that she does. Yeah. Well, like, and then I'm so, you know... I believe in leotards and declares, but I'm so, like, on <laughs> Sister Julienne's emotional side in that exchange. Like, Sister Ju- uh, like Trixie is going too far and being rude and is being disrespectful. And then when she brings her in and Sister Julienne is like, uh, you have to respect, I understand that you aren't nuns, but you have to respect us. And she says, respecting you in following your rules are different things. And I'm like, I feel like, fair enough, but tempting Sister Monica Joan to eat eclairs is not respecting them. No, definitely not. So I'm still, I'm like, Trixie, you're in the wrong. And then when Trixie connects that to Olive, mm-hmm. this is, you see it in Sister Julienne's performance. And it also, when Trixie connects it to Olive, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah. That like, she says... Uh, there was a lady in my keep fit class who didn't know anything about her body or even the parts of it. And, uh, she doesn't quite say it as, uh, connecting, like as pedantically connecting the dots as I'm going to, but the audience and Sister Julianne both understand that, like, denial of the body and the rules that you are talking about and insisting on creates shame that creates ignorance that is medically, uh, harmful. Mm Mm-hmm. Like she, those, those dots don't all get connected as boringly as I just did, Mm -hmm. but that's the point of it. And that's why sister Julianne says like, our young women keep us on our toes and without them, we would flander. Like sister Julianne does not, is not putting on a leotard and eating eclairs, but she, she acknowledges the fairness of the, that perspective that Mm -hmm. Trixie goes too far, but also she's coming from like. 
uh, more than just, especially how it's framed the episode. Oh, <laughs> the episode even frames it as like Trixie is using this as a coping mechanism and encouraging everyone else to cope in the same way. And not everyone needs to cope in the same way for the same things that you do, Trixie. And fair enough, you can go, but you can't pull Sister Monica Joan and even Barbara and everyone else with you. You're always trying to proselytize your uh, keep fit class just because it's good for you isn't good for everyone. So the perspective that the show brings us into is like Trixie is being, you know, understand it for understandable reasons but is being self-centered about it and then when she's flips it and uh connects it to all of it is like this isn't just about her and her coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. at all Mm -hmm. i feel like and trixie herself has just realized that with all of that and we should mention her that she uh doesn't have any name for her vagina doesn't have doesn't know what anything is called and just knows that like you know when you're older things happen and you just take care of them yourself you don't go to see a doctor and not realizing that she could that it was possible that anything could be helped yeah so we didn't that talk women about... should just naturally be in pain is a way of talking about the body where not talking about the body causes pain yeah and specifically throughout this episode is women's bodies in particular and we see the like susan the newborn and all of the how old but older woman uh and so like we see a whole lifespan yeah represented by the the two of them mm-hmm. and she like specifically we kind of alluded to it but she uh to say clearly i mean if you've seen the episode you know but during the keep fit she uh is it has is incontinent and has to run to the bathroom because she mm-hmm. has wet herself because she that is because she uh her womb what's the she has a She's prolapsed, prolapsed womb. womb that's because she has a prolapsed womb so it's a medically treatable condition that requires surgery but she doesn't know what is going on, what mm-hmm. is causing it, what is possible, what is normal. She doesn't, as you said, like they say vagina and she's like, is that what, the medical word? <laughs> like, that's a word she's never heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, is that going to be covered by the national health? And Dr. Turner says, everything is covered by the national health. And they're yeah. like... The two side, the, the like ignorance about her body and ignorance about the medical, the state of medicine mm-hmm. are like two sides of the same coin. Because why does she need to know about the state of medicine if she's not thinks that her body is uncontrollable? Mm-hmm. Also, by the way, like a prolapsed womb, can we uh, say um, hysteria is mm. the. A theory that women's wombs go wandering around their bodies and that's what causes, like, women be crazy. Yeah. And so, like, she... This is, like, a literal hysteria. Mm-hmm. That, like, her womb isn't where it's supposed to be. Like, that specific... Of all the things she could be suffering from, the specific thing that they give her is, like, this mythical hysteria, your womb wandering around causes uh, madness and there's nothing we can really do about it becomes like really groundedly you have a prolapsed womb which is a specific medical problem that surgery will fix yeah exactly the like 
contrast, I, I just feel like the pearlesque womb is a, is a pointed as the medical problem that she has. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So lastly, baby Susan, finally, the father accepts her. Mm-hmm. The brothers and sisters get to come and hold her. And he insists on holding her first. Yeah. This is the happy ending that we often see on this show that I just like. <laughs> the Mullock's children are great. Yeah. I love them. They're maybe impossibly great uh, in the way the show sometimes does. But, like, when Rhoda is, like, uh, the son, whatever his... Percy, Perry... Perry's gonna fight anyone who calls his sister names, and little Perry, who doesn't get a line in that scene, but shakes his fist. Like, yeah, anyone who calls my little sister names, I'm gonna beat them up. And, like, the Belinda Mullocks, the the daughter, the other daughter is, like, has a couple of lines that we don't need to, like, go over in detail. But, you know, every time we see her, she's, like protective of the new baby and her mother and like let's buy daffodils because she likes daffodils and Mm -hmm. she like is so uh they're they're great kids and they're like it's a great little family Mm -hmm. and mr mullocks who spends that whole like he has that talk with sister mary cynthia and then he spends the visit like in the corner chewing on his finger uh and we don't know what's going on in his head. And uh, Mrs. Mullock's uh, uh, Rhoda gives this talk to the kids about like, yeah, Susan is different. But sometimes, in, but she has a beautiful face. And sometimes in life, you've got to be happy for what you've got, not what you haven't got. Mm-hmm. And then we focus on Mr. Mullock's. And then the per- Perry asks to hold Susan. And he says, no. And you think for just a moment that, like, he's still, don't touch this freak. But instead, he's like, you're too rough. I get to hold her. Mm -hmm. I I love it. Yeah, absolutely. The final narration, uh, Jenny says they would be given a word to explain Susan's condition. And we now, knowing is that that word is thalidomide, which is, uh, was mentioned last season and uh it is what they gave women for uh morning sickness yeah bad morning sickness the woman in the last episode had uh i can't remember the word gd yeah she like couldn't hold in any food and she was like fainting and so it was it was explicitly said this is thalidomide and uh so to get into the more clinical part of that it was a drug that was licensed for other uses but it was found that it helped with morning sickness and so from 1958 to 1961 in the uk it was given to pregnant women which resulted in these uh birth major birth defects um i have stats here of the approximately 2,000 babies born with defects around half died within a few months but 466 at least survived to 2010. Mm-hmm. After, in 1968, there was a compensation settlement, but it wasn't until 2010 that people really got settlement. So that was a long, long time. That is not ancient history. That is very, very recent history. Yeah. And uh, this in Canada, thalidomide wasn't banned for a very long time. It was first uh, used in Germany, I believe. Yeah. 
and then spread to other places and, and got banned slowly more in other places. Uh, Canada was surprisingly late in banning it. I don't know all the stats for us for uh, babies born with with defects, but this wasn't, you know, unlike a lot of uh, parts of this show where a baby is born with something wrong, like we've had spina bifida, cerebral palsy, things like that, um, where it's genetic, it's a, it's not genetic, it's just a something that happens. Uh, baby Susan is specifically because of a drug that that was prescribed prescribed to her, to her probably um, by Doctor Turner. And the hint of that is at the very beginning of the episode, her son is asking for milk magnesia that she yep. has an upset stomach, and so she took something for that upset stomach, and that caused this birth defect. Yep. And the um, when baby Susan is born, uh, Doctor Turner uh, and Sheila have a conversation about like what what happened but what how do i explain this and dr turner says uh the the hospital said that the way they explain it is sometimes mother nature makes a mistake makes a mistake mm-hmm. and that is like in the past we've seen like things that that does seem like the best explanation is sometimes mother nature makes a mistake but they really say that in this episode and by the way sheila responds well mother nature is a right no i'm not going to say it but yeah. it's not complimentary <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Sheila was thinking bad words. Yes. Um it's okay, she's not a nun anymore. She's not a nun anymore. <laughs> but like Mother Nature made a mistake. Well thalidomide is not Mother Nature made a mistake. Yeah, this was human mistakes and much like the episode where it was like a trip to Australia and it doesn't turn out well, the difficulty for Susan is just beginning. Yeah. In terms of like they deserve compensation, but they will not be getting it anytime soon. Yeah. And they, I mean, this brings us back again to, uh, oh, this episode is set in Lent leading up to yes, Easter. Yes, exactly. That like Lent, if you, is a, as we see in the episode, is a season of self-denial and penitence and fasting and easter is a celebration and the like the uh story behind lent and easter is easter is the death and then resurrection easter is the resurrection of jesus and lent is a like leading towards the death Mm -hmm. um and the reason you're penitent during easter is you kind of pretend to not know that easter is coming you just know that good friday is coming so during lent you kind of pretend that uh you're leading towards death and then there's a surprise resurrection Mm -hmm. um and it's so fitting for this like they're in lent and bodies are wrong and uh she narrates about Easter and optimism and uh, connects back again to this like minor motif of space travel. And that like, we're enthusiastic and optimistic about space travel, which represents the future of what technology can do for us. But we're in Lent where what technology does for us, where what uh, innovation does for us is uh, cause birth defects in babies. And that like this, tension between optimism and pessimism Mm -hmm. that is uh so profound and so fitting for the time that they set this story in absolutely 
So what was your favorite part of this episode? <sighs> I think my... It's hard to choose between two conversations about Susan. Like Mary Cynthia talking to uh, Mr. Mullocks about uh, first glances are for strangers is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And also... Uh, Rhoda talking about you've got to be happy for what you've got. Those are my two favorite parts of the episode. Mm -hmm. And I can't really choose between them. (laughs) What is your favorite part of this episode? I think it's uh, it's Trixie speaking passionately about Mm. women's bodies and especially uh, women learning things about their own bodies because I feel passionately about that as well. So I think... And then uh, the other part, since you picked two, I get to pick two, is... uh, (laughs) Delia's mom not being able to say no to her daughter living in a nunnery. <laughs> <laughs> she wants to. You see, she so wants to say no, but she can't think of a good reason why not. What excuse could I possibly give? <laughs> <laughs> Few little moments that we didn't mention while we're uh, vamping and uh, and gushing. It's like a tiny moment that's not worth mentioning at the time, but Tom and Barbara are making eyes at each yeah, other. Yeah, there's that. Tom goes to beg her to make to help him make Easter bonnets, and he's all awkward about it. And like maybe we could make a uh, stretch to say that bonnets are are about decorating the body, but I think it's just like their romance clicks up and, a little. And Trixie is noticing it. And Trixie is noticing it. And I don't think Trixie plays jealous about it. No, I don't think she, so. She like either. is happy about it. Yeah. I think. Uh, so that's nice to see. Mm-hmm. All right. So if you would have any thoughts on this episode or any other episode of Call the Midwife, you can get in touch with us. We love hearing from you guys. Every time we do, it makes us really happy. Uh, how would they do that, Paul? You can email us poplar at clockworksacademy.com. Poplar opinion. Uh, if Twitter still exists by the time this episode comes out. <laughs> Keeps getting worse uh, We are also on other social media things and we'll find you... If you, but we're not very active there. So those are the two best places. If you'd like to support the show, uh, we have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash clockworkscast, and you can uh, help support the podcast and other things that Clockworks Academy does. There will also be a link in the show to our uh, Discord, which we love to talk. People are talking there, and you can talk to other people about the show and to us about the show as well. And thank you very much for joining us this week. I've been Dr. Paul Moffat. And I've been Jan Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. <laughs> <laughs>